Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Get you going that little if you bit. Say to anger it. is a great ah, motivator. Yeah. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. Now you're welcome along, Sunday Papers coming at you, so I'll run you through the back pages first of all. We have Mail on Sunday here, it's a very happy Henry Shefflin, Return of the King after Galway beat Tipperary in the hurling yesterday, 120 to 118. Probably should have won by more Galway, but uh, they're back after the disappointment of a Leinster final a couple of weeks ago. So um, Manchester United and Mason Mount is turning into a twitch of a saga. Devils in the detail is the headline here. Manchester United have offered 55 million sterling. Chelsea have said they want 65 million. Manchester United have said, well, he's in the last year of his contract, so we're not giving you 65 million. That's where that is. Master Chef, that is Henry Shefflin there. And beneath that top deck, City uh, want assurances to join 100 million pound race as Gunners prepare a new bid. So um, Manchester City want assurances from Declan Rice that he will join City if they join the bid. So it had seemed like Arsenal were in pole position, but now City have said, well, why not? <laughs> it's kind of the gist of that, I think. We got 100 million knocking around. Uh, the Sun, Galway banished the pain and beneath that 200 million pounds. So it seems Arsenal are spending 200 million on Kai Havertz. That will cost 65 million. Declan Rice, they hope, will cost 100 million. And uh, Urian Timber from Ajax, a defender, will cost 30 million, although Ajax want 50. And then Sunday Independent, it's a picture from the hurling yesterday and beneath that, uh, Shefflin's men survive stern Tipperary test. Sunday Times go with a similar photo, it's Tip and Galway and it's Galway joined Clare in All-Ireland Senior Hurling uh, Championship semi-final after win over Tipperary. And beneath that, Manchester United will switch their focus from Mason Mount, uh, Cassiedo of Brighton, should uh, Chelsea continue to uh, play it tough. Very happy to say we have Fionn Davenport here in studio, travel journalist, part of the Golf Weekly team, and Sinead O'Carroll, who is, of course, editor at The Journal. You're both very welcome. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. A disclaimer at the top of the show. I am from Selbridge, County Kildare. Sinead is from <laughs> Selbridge, <laughs> County Kildare. Fionn Davenport has recently moved. <laughs> <laughs> to Selbridge. True. County Kildare. Who knew it was the media capital of the country? <laughs> so weird. So Dude. weird. Especially because like, like we don't have, it's not like, we're, we're not like, many, we weren't we're not, grown up. No. No, we, but also like, it's not like our parents knew journalists or were journalists or knew people in the media. Like, we kind of just all landed here. <laughs> here. Funny, yeah. yeah. Well, I think yours is you grew up at Selbridge and, and made your way to Dublin. I'm from Dublin, but can't afford Dublin prices. So the nearest point for me was Selbridge. Don't position Selbridge like that. How dare you? I You're don't, lucky we let you in. Do you know, I don't regret it at all. Every time I, I, I've just bought an e-bike, so I cycle into work yeah. from Selbridge. Yeah. Did you watch the Kildare match yesterday? Because you might have started regretting it then. <laughs> See, the thing is, is as I, just before we came on, so I was like, when do Dublin play next? Because I, I said to one of my neighbours, never a lily white always a blue the plains no of Castletown bring a tear to his eye when he's out for a stroll <laughs> I know you do uh, so <laughs> that's ridiculous really it is a strange um, little coming together but here we are so just on Kildare because I know you were there Sinead at the game yep 
didn't like this. I say this as a Kildare man, just didn't like this from Glen Ryan. So he's not happy when they have to play Crow Park. Grand, I take it to a point. But then yesterday they lost to Monaghan. Monaghan scored four of the last five points. Kildare, I should say, did uh, win the free tally 13 to nine. Monaghan conceded 13 frees to Kildare's nine. And Glen Ryan came out about the referee, Jerome Henry, and he said, funny enough, someone said to me this week, this man's out of his depth. And he proved tonight that he was out of his depth. It's silly stuff. And in the wider picture of the abuse that referees get, you absolutely do not want inter-county managers saying stuff like that on the record. You know, if you want to blow off some steam, do it like privately, do it to your family. You know, there's always going to be, you know, some questions over what referees do. But in the current atmosphere, you don't want stuff like that on the record and out loud. And about particular individuals and then bringing David Goff into it as well, saying, you know, there was a really experienced man on the sideline and he also didn't agree with some of the decisions. Like, of course, like there's so many bigger picture things to think about. But like football is an impossible thing to referee because the rules don't make sense. Football doesn't make sense. Like for anyone who was in Tullamore yesterday, like it is a terrible game to watch. Like, And, you know, we got into our cars and we drove down and I brought my 18 month old. None of that is easy. And you still do it. And like you're sitting there going, this is a terrible sport to watch. But, you know, we're all there anyway and we love it for whatever reasons. Um, and this is the stuff you don't want at the end of it. We actually all left and, you know, afterwards and you're kind of leaving and there's lots of Kildare people around that you don't know, but you're chatting anyway. And the consensus was, look, we should have scored one of those four goal chances when we didn't. We were going to lose. Yes, there was some refereeing decisions in the second half that were odd. Um, but, you know, they weren't the winning and the losing of the game, except the, the last one. There was a bit of, you know, consternation over, you know, they let Monaghan play on over the 74 minutes and then Kildare had the ball in an attacking position and it was, the whistle was blown. But, you know, you can't, you can't if you're grumbling over all that stuff all the time, you know, it's you, the, the guys that need to go out and take the chances and win. And I think that's that's where they're going to be at. And I think Glenn Ryan should join them there and not be given out about the referee. The other thing that people were talking about as we were leaving Tullamore was, isn't it lovely not to be being beaten hands down at Crow Park mm. you know it is actually really nice to be in provincial uh, stadiums um, there was you know lovely moments at halftime where all the kids pile on they all play just you know it's not it's not like the sevens of, of before where it's all organised you know the kids all just went on got some football played around and then left like that's the stuff that's really nice you know a really good atmosphere the wind was absolutely swirling around the stadium so it was tough conditions um, but it was a it was a a nice atmosphere to play and a nice atmosphere to watch in bar football being a turgid sport. <laughs> can, can I ask, um, will Glenn Ryan, does he risk sanction for besmirching the referee? Not sure, actually. I don't think it's Glenn Ryan hit with a fine job. Or, yeah, I mean, because uh, as Sinead pointed out, is this like referees get such a tough time of his and just here, here's a can of petrol, I'm just going to pour it on a fire. Well, I wouldn't mind if he said I didn't think the referee had a good game. Yeah, which is... But like out of his depth. And especially saying we were saying that beforehand, because that's that's an incredibly personalised remark. Someone is going to have to take on a bigger game than they've taken on before for them to get experience Mm. of bigger games. Um, In the first half, there was a lot of grumbling from from people on the sideline about decisions, but from both sides. And there was a level of consistency in the first half. You know, there was a couple of things that definitely would have been given free, been given as frees. At one point, I turned to my sister and said, all of those would have been frees if we were playing the Dubs and Crow Park. (laughs) But that's probably another bias coming out. 
But he was pretty consistent that things that weren't freeze weren't freeze on either side. Second half, I think there was probably a bit more inconsistency. But like you said, the free count was still in Kildare's favour. There was probably a couple of things, you know, there was confusion in the last minute for when they scored the, the winning point. Um, and I think maybe a more experienced ref could probably take hold of that a bit better. But this is how you get more experienced refs. The next time he'll probably know if someone calls an erroneous mark that you don't let them, you know, hold on to the ball for three or four seconds. I do feel when he said... Um You've a top class official running the line like David Goff, who was equally scratching his head with me on occasions. David Goff won't thank him for that. That, that was off the record, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. And there's always, uh, look. Or, the he old, or he interpreted a sympathetic look from yeah. David Goff to mean, I also think this guy's out of his depth and a disgrace, which I doubt is what David Goff was trying to transmit. But there's always that. And that, I mean, look, the, the, someone, funny enough, someone said to me, the mysterious yeah. someone, someone, a friend of mine told me. I met a voter on the door. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you did, you did yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Man with two pints in his yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah. But I, no, I don't like it. I really don't. Um, it's not a good way to conduct yourself afterwards. No, uh, out of his depth. So well, he should never referee again. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and, and also right if you look at that. the wider thing with Kildare football, like um, Feely was out talking last week, saying you know they they wanted to show the steeliness and the resilience. Great interview, really good interview week, yeah. last week. You know that they felt like there was more in this team. You know, and some really like upsetting insights that some of them don't want to leave their house you know because they feel like they've let the county down and like it's so important to people and you know football is so, so important in Kildare like you don't want lads feeling that they can't leave their house because they haven't won a game but you know he was saying he wanted to show that this team had resilience they did that last week the problem is it was always going to be t- difficult to do it twice in a row and that's why I felt in the second half once that those goal chances didn't go in it would be one step yeah. too far but Resilience isn't built by a manager giving out about the referee. That is the opposite of building resilience. Or Crow Park. It's excuse making. The Crow Park thing, I, I agree a little bit more <laughs> with Len Ryan. <laughs> I do think that, like, when we were watching yesterday. So what, Dub- I, Dublin know the name of the bloke on the dressing room door? Not that kind of stuff, but I do think there's, like, a mental scarring <laughs> from just going to Crow Park for some. Like, I'm mentally scarred from going to Crow Park and getting hammered by Dublin every year. I and I haven't stepped foot on the grass. So. Well, that's re- resilience, you know? I mean, I don't know. But I do think there's a mental scarring about that and the fact that it's always in Crow Park. Fair enough. And it shouldn't always have been in Crow Park. Fine, take a beating in uh, Connets, take a beating in Tullamore, you know, but I think it's a little different when it's always in the same bloody place. So, um, well, to segue then away from uh, Kildare Hour, which is <laughs> yeah. danger yeah, of becoming... Selbridge massive here. Do we not, do we not want to talk about the Kildare GA Championships now? Yeah. <laughs> you said it was a fairly turgid watch. Are, is that your general refrain on GA this summer? Where are you in the sport? Uh, I actually think that's more my general refrain. Yesterday they had there were some really great moments um, you know like that point uh, when Monaghan were playing around uh, just before half time yeah. kind of over and back uh, the goalkeeper was up uh, past the halfway line you know all of that stuff that we hate to see just like sideways hand passes because having watched Roscommon Cork beforehand it was like Monaghan Kildare was on 1.5 speed compared to what yeah. happened in the previous game which was just beyond turgid. Yeah so there was some lovely moments and a lot of them to be fair were Kildare players turning over oh, yeah. the ball <laughs> in defence and driving forward and getting really nice points so when that happens you're like this is why we love the sport Yeah. Um, or when you kind of think back to like why aren't people doing what Shane Walsh and David Clifford did last year yeah. um, so that that's there but it's the it's the systems and the slowing down and the you know the hand passing over and back and having all 30 players in one half of the field um, and that's just still happening way too often because mm. if you're 
into it and you're, you're Kildare supporting Kildare, then there's just a tension and you can mm. accommodate it. But just when you're watching as neutral, tough going. Yeah, I'd say Cork was common. I was in the car, so I didn't get to watch it. But I'd say that was tough going yesterday. I watched the first half. I just couldn't stick the second half. Um, you're not a GA fan. I did all this talk of how turgid it's become. Uh, that's three times I've used that word. <laughs> I'm going to stop. But yeah. uh, I doubt that's enticing you to start watching it. I mean, I, I mean, I watch Dublin play because mm-hmm. I'm from Dublin. But no, I, I remember years and years ago, uh, someone said to me, no, um, my, an ex-girlfriend's father, we were talking about, and he said, one of the biggest problems that they've never managed to resolve is, is that it's very, very difficult to dispossess a player without fouling him. Yeah. And ultimately, that is a fundamental flaw in the game. Because in every other sport, you can dispossess a player and the flow of the game goes on. But the fact that you can't, and like, and if you if you lose the ball, like the rest of your teammates are like, are you an idiot? Mm-hmm. Well, see, this is, this is exactly why it's happened because before people used to enjoy kicking and catching it. So they just kick it anyway, even though yeah. they might not catch it on the other end, their team might not catch it on the other end. But obviously managed to figure that out and went like, well, we want to win. So just yeah. don't kick the ball anymore because then the no one can dispossess you. And there's a, I mean, certainly in the Roscommon game, I think there's like... Um, quality that, that emerges that when oh we've kept the ball for two minutes now three minutes now I definitely don't want to be the one that takes a risk and gives it away and it they double down and I think that's what was happening like the just before half time that, that point I was talking about Kildare got no one wanted to take it on for Monaghan even though they were they, they could have gone in up if someone had just taken it on you know r- ran through for f- five steps three four five steps whatever they're allowed to take and uh, hit it over the bar but yeah no one wants to take it on because it was just before half time and if they get possessed you know Kildare can go and score which happened in the end so you know there's yeah. probably a lesson in that just but um, yeah more anomalies like last year's uh, All-Ireland final but you know I, I don't I don't hold out a huge amount of hope because you don't really win like that a lot yeah The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. Uh, Stephen Kenny, so I I think it was inevitable that the Sunday Papers would have their say on Stephen Kenny and uh, that has happened in an array of places, including... Eamon Sweeney in the back page, Shane McGran the Mail, Paul Rowan in the Sunday Times, Philip Quinn in the Mail on Sunday, which caught my eye, I have to say, because on page 71, uh, Philip Quinn has proposed the new dream team. It would not be dull. So the dream team is Roy Keane as manager, Lee Carsley as coach. So uh, Philip Quinn has been a big critic of Stephen Kenny. He had that exchange with them last week where he said the record was shambolic and Kenny bit back and said that Quinn's conduct in press conferences had been poor and that was widely played. I think you might have heard the audio somewhere along the way. So um, all is not well in Camp Kenny. The evidence is there, writes Philip Quinn. His snapping at journalists, the launch into self-serving monologues after Gibraltar game, following a window which revealed further splinters in the Kenny veneer. He said, can the Dubliner pull himself and Ireland out of this nosedive? Thinks it's a long shot. As it stands, I would be astonished if Kenny is still in charge after the double header against France and the Netherlands in September. On current form, Ireland will do well to take a point from those games. So in terms of an in-your-face appointment, one name stands out above all others. Roy Keane, 
the former Warrior captain and number two under Martin O'Neill. Make no mistake, Keane would jump at the job. He's available. These are two pluses and there are others. Keane would send the profile of the team into orbit. There'd be a queue of sponsors eager to pay for a slice of the Keane pie. Caveats, Keane hasn't been a number one since January 11. Football has moved on so much since then. Could he get back on the bike without a wobble? Uh, he also mentions the combustible nature, led to rouse formerly with Harry Arter and Johnny Walters during his previous stint. Uh, Keane would only work if he had the right team around him, someone who would bring strategy to the ticket and who the Corkman would listen to. Lee Carsley, former international teammate of Keane's, is highly regarded as an innovative coach, knows how to handle elite players. That is the gist of uh, that argument. So it's a very thin argument, frankly, isn't it? I mean... I mean, I guess the only point you'd make is that, yeah, sure, like it would send the the profile of the team higher and and maybe attract more sponsors. But like, you know, Argentina pointed Diego Maradona and that didn't go that well. (laughs) Um, And and even though Maradona was a far more volatile personality than, than Keane was and Keane has managed and it goes down to like it's it's so Joaquin so Lee Carsley would do all the tactical work and uh, because he's aware of how modern football is played at a kind of a on the ground level and Keane would be what like chief motivator like guy speak keeping journalists like us entertained you know <laughs> but I think Carsley's job would then also weirdly be fixing Keane's HR issues yeah, like if like if he's had a blowout with someone Carsey's like well actually I'm used to dealing with these elite players because I've had loads of them with the 21s like yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a, there's an interest he'd bring a much needed presence into the Irish dressing room and you know you mentioned this it's like yeah ask Harry Arthur and Jonathan Walters about the much needed presence in the dressing room and it's not like look Keane is remarkably entertaining but that's that's what he is now like even you watch him on Sky, he does. He's not there to bring in-depth analysis. Like he doesn't analyze games at all. He's there to bring color and, you know, and go. I'd boot him out. You know, I'd give him a slap across the head. And he's like, fine, and that's entertaining, and it works within the context of Neville, particularly, but Carragher kind of bringing a slightly more kind of. I'm going to analyze the game, but I mean, and and look, and even allowing for the fact that. International football has dropped. The standard of it is lower as club football just gets better and better all the time. What we need, we don't, we don't need Roy Keane. We need, if anybody, and he mentions that at the end, I mean, like we need a Lee Carsley who clearly has some tactical nous and experience, but Michael O'Neill would be a better appointment. Like to me, it was just, and that's even allowing if Stephen Kenny isn't going to proceed beyond, I mean, do you expect anything to change after Holland and France it's just going to we're going to be in the hole even more look I think and you said at the beginning like Quinn clearly had made his feelings felt about what he thinks about Stephen Kenny's tenure 33 games 24 competitive matches like lost 12 drawn 7 is it um it's not a good return. And, and and as much as like there is that dynamic where as, as Liam Brady on his final salvo last week is it's like this is the worst collection of players I've ever seen, which is almost as if to say, what is Stephen Kenny meant to do? Mm. Well, he's not meant to line them up like they're Man City or or make them so vulnerable the way he did against Greece. That's what he's meant to do. 
is like, and it, it feels is that like there's, they're, are they the best group of Irish? They're far from it. Like we've, they're not a great squad. But does that give Stephen Kenny an out? I don't know. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, I feel I feel that the, the 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 tactical naivete shown in the first half against Greece is a really alarming alarming sign. And it shows that like a lack of approach or, or, or a fix on this is how I play football regardless of the opponent in front of me. And, you know, uh, and, and, and it leaves us where we are. But do I think Roy Keane is the answer? No. If, 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 he, if Roy Keane's the answer, I'm terrified of what the question is. <laughs> and Roy Keane has been in the room before. I think one of the things with the Stephen Kenny conversation, and actually there's no consensus across the papers. Some people think he will be gone after the next few yeah. matches. Some people think he won't. Some people think he should be. Some people think he won't. So again, like there's never any full consensus when, when talking about uh, Stephen Kenny. But I think th- Shane McGrath makes this point in, in the Daily Mail. Like we can't go backwards. Like the whole experiment hasn't been a failure in that like we, we have all mm. agreed now that like we can't just go to you know, Trapatoni t- tactics and just, yeah. you know, means to an end and, and hope for the best when, when we get there. So it's just we need someone who is better than Stephen Kenny to do it. <laughs> so who that person is will be a conversation that the FAI have to start having now for whenever they deem it appropriate, probably the end of this campaign, right? Like they'd fall into the same trap again in terms of fixtures if they bring someone else in for this campaign they're probably going to do badly. They start with lots of losses. Then they try and stack some wins with some bad friendlies against bad teams. But that's not helpful. You need to do what Vera Pau did with the women and play some strong teams. But you need to be in a position to be able to do that. Play some strong teams, rack up the losses, but learn some stuff. Get get a bit of resilience into your players. Yeah, I think the um, question the FA have to grapple with is if we have lost faith with Stephen Kenny as a board then the potential playoff in March is our priority. Mm. So pulling the plug and giving whoever's next in some kind of opportunity to get a couple of competitive games under their belt to prepare for that playoff game in March is now the priority. But then, you know, Eamon Sweeney says, don't rush to Kenny Judgment. You know, he absolutely deserves the next window. Seems to be a sense from a lot of people, albeit against the French and the Netherlands. Uh, Eamon Sweeney says summarily, sum, summarily axing Kenny because Lee Carsley will be out of contract as England under 21 boss when the European Championships end in a fortnight's time would be disastrous. The decision is too important to be made just because a replacement is available on the cheap. And he does make a bit of a defence for Kenny's record, although I did sort of laugh because this maybe wasn't the greatest way to... Uh, phrase it. He says, the idea that Ireland's defeat in Athens represented the irredeemable nadir of Kenny's reign seems an overreaction. His team played far worse when losing to Luxembourg. (laughs) And it's true. And in fairness to Eamon's right in as much as like this lurch, should the board make a decision on Tuesday which is, by the way, not an in, uh, in a, a kind of unplanned meeting. That's just their standard. That's just meeting. their standard. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's, there's nothing but, afoot But there. should a decision be made simply as a knee-jerk reaction to what happened in Greece or the kind of unconvincing first half against Gibraltar? Just seems, I agree. Like, it just feels it's like, I, I, on the one hand, I think it's like patience for Stephen Kenny. He's been there for three years. Like, it's that's, that's a considerably long time for an international manager. Yeah. Uh, but I agree that this idea of like, unless there is a, a development plan in place, what's after, as, as Sinead correctly said, Stephen Kenny did a great job of re-restoring a sense of how Ireland should play football. Yes. But I think there is a 
growing consensus that we need someone better than Stephen Kenny to bring that on. Seems so Stephen be- Kenny's done all this great development work, like bringing young players in. This is this is I won't say <laughs> I don't not a particularly exciting squad of players. It doesn't, but you know there is something there. Uh, but like the idea of just going, okay, right, that's it. Stephen Kenny's not working out. We're just going to pluck somebody out, and that just feels ridiculous as well. So I, I would have sympathy with with Sweeney's point, but I, but equally, I just think is that they need to be looking for what's next, and they need to be looking quickly because, as you said, of that playoff next March. He does though make a point. I do very much agree with Damon Sweeney, even if Stephen Kenny is a dead man walking. Lee Carsley is a questionable choice as successor. The sum total of his managerial experience at senior level consists of 24 games as caretaker at Coventry, Brentford and Birmingham, yeah. which yielded 10 wins and 10 losses. Like there's a real, it's just like we're parroting each other. Lee Carsley's highly rated. Yeah, I'm All the people in the media saying that don't know anything about Lee Carsley as a manager. Not really. No. I guarantee they couldn't give you a chapter and verse on the formations he plays with England or... Mm. The, his, you know, his um, philosophy on the game, or any number of other important um, issues, when you're, you're, you need to consider. It's when like you're my pet peeve when you hear Leinster rugby players are playing really well in trainings. Therefore, they get should get into the Ireland squad. Like, yeah. look, well, how do you know that? No. <laughs> just like, so, why is Lee Carsley hasn't managed at senior level full time? That's a very good point. Get the Ireland job. Yeah. Like, are we that desperate? Or yeah. are we underwriting ourselves that much? That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, let's show some self-respect here. Mm-hmm. Lee Carsley, if he's as good as everybody says, will get a job in English football at senior level, manage for a year or two or three. And if the Ireland job is important to him down the line, then great. Is it beyond the realms to consider? Like, uh, Stephen Kenny's salary is half a million. Yeah. Of taking that and paying some young up-and-coming Dutch manager. Now, I don't know if there's a barter system in place. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just that, like, as in... Do we not offer? Do we not offer an attractive enough proposition for a hungry young manager who is well versed in modern tactics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to come in and just you know work with the players that are you know is that beyond? The I, I think that is one of the accomplishments of Stephen Kenny. I, th- I do think we're more attractive now, yeah, like than than we were before he took over, and like. Yes, Liam Brady can say, you know, it's the worst bunch of players. But like, Liam Brady also didn't know some of the players. No. So like that assessment, it'll get headlines. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's you know, not the most trustworthy can, one Can either. I just state, by the way, I've nothing against Lee Carsley. I don't know if he's good, bad or indifferent. I no, just, it's just we I don't just know. find the sense that he's like the incumbent. Is yeah, it just, it happened. I, I'm, I'm, unless I'm missing something, I'm, I'm astonished that like there isn't more attention given to Michael O'Neill. Mm. Just neither of you particularly <laughs> enthused. We don't know if you're missing something either. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Um, is there anything to be said for Roy for the sheer crack of it? Uh, but the no. sure, of course or there is. Think of but the no. content generation. No. The content generation. I it, like it's look. It, there's no doubt. Like, I mean that semi seriously. No, but then but the answer I, is no. But I think one of the <laughs> one of the things that Philip Quinn is saying is that like, you know, he can be go in and be in the dressing room, but and what you were saying Fiona about what he does in his analysis of football, he kind of analyzes people's work ethic, their heart, their, yeah. their d- determination. That's not what's lacking no. from this Irish squad. True. You know, all of these Irish players want to play from Ireland. They're very motivated to play with Ireland. We haven't always had that in squads. You know, the likes of Evan Ferguson really seeing international football as a huge part of his career. Yeah. That's not how young superstars see international football 
across the board, across do, the world at the moment. I do feel in Ireland so, though we've always had that. Do you yeah, but there's also like, there's an interesting one is this. Group. Uh, Quinn continued makes the argument in favour of Keane as he's worked under Charlton, Clough and Ferguson who are clearly great motivators but they they belong to a different era like the, the football he learnt under them is is dinosaur stuff I mean look I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the overlap he's hilariously funny he's unbelievably quick witted his is like without Roy Keane that's one of the worst programmes you could watch but that's why Roy Keane's in the right job for Roy exactly. Keane <laughs> and that's it so he's doing a great job doing what he does but like please and, and the other point just to go back to the money thing like yeah he would be really expensive. Yeah, like, he and would. money that would not be well spent by the FAI. Absolutely, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. yeah, I do feel for the week that's in it. Like the Ireland jersey would be sponsored by the Overlap, and oh, King's God. salary would be. <laughs> it would be barter nice. account yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> it would yeah. be. It would be nice if the Irish team got a sponsor because I think that would take one of the criticisms off the table. Yeah. but that's not Stephen Kenny's fault, and it's definitely not the players' fault. Mm. Uh, Paul Rowan does say at the end of his piece Judgment Day for now at least the mood at the FEI would appear to be to give Kenny one last chance even though some of his closest supporters at high levels in the FEI are wavering so it's at that very decisive point it's not impossible they pull a result out of the bag against France or the Netherlands No, nothing is impossible it's highly unlikely And again but if they if they play well there and then you think well does he deserve the opportunity to have Greece at home in Dublin to right some wrongs Maybe you do. And that's and then suddenly you're at the end of the campaign. Like there are only four games left. It's not this mammoth commitment. <laughs> so I, I suspect he'll see out the campaign barring disaster against France and uh, the Dutch. What does disaster look like to you? Yeah. I was gonna- <laughs> uh, 2-0 defeat in Paris or better is fine. And then Netherlands, 1-0 defeat or better. 2-0 starts to feel a bit, no. Okay. Against Holland. Very comprehensive. Yeah, look, I think they have to put up a decent showing against a side that aren't in great form. Mm. For him to keep his job and a sense that, okay, this thing isn't going down. It's not disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they're comprehensively beaten 3-0 in Paris and the Dutch win 2-0 in Dublin. If you're bleeding goals on the international stage, yeah. Yeah. Come on. He doesn't have much credit left, is the point. If it was his first game, you wouldn't fire him for a 2-0 defeat to the Dutch at home. But just considering... Yeah, he has to not feel like a sitting duck at the end of those two games. I think so, yeah. And that's a huge amount of pressure as well on a squad going in thinking, and this manager is like Mm. being pushed out the door. If we were comprehensively beaten by France in Paris and lost 2-0 to the Netherlands in Dublin, but then put two past Greece. Well, I don't think he'll be given the Greece job then. I don't think he'll survive. You think he'll be gone by then? Yeah. It just feels, then, that feels weirdly unfair. Like... It's like, of course, you're a hostage of fortune. You've got Netherlands and France. Like, of course they're going to beat us. Yeah. I'd, I'd just be thinking of the practicalities of that because going, like looking what happened to Kenny kind of coming in and, you know, they were his excuses that like, I wa- well, I wasn't really there for that bit and then COVID happened and whatever. But I think if you're expecting a squad halfway through a campaign to just figure out a new manager and then there's not enough time in camp mm. and there's whatever system's going to come in, I think there's just some practicalities that the FAI might, you know, question a bit. I guess it's if they don't see anything in September to give a sense of hope, then suddenly March Mm. is the priority, Mm. assuming we have a playoff. And then there's a very strong argument. Well, let's not have the first game for the new manager be a playoff for the Euros. Let's give that manager Greece and Gibraltar. 
yeah as tune up games as meet the players games as figure out some kind of formation games either way it's all fairly grim it all feels grim yeah Yeah, it's it's not not a nice decision isn't it none Um, of these seem good options particularly speaking of not nice decisions um, and while we're on football I was surprised that there wasn't a bit more in the papers uh, around Vera Pau's squad decision coming up on Wednesday I, th- I was kind of looking forward to a few uh, here's, in, my, here's my squad or here's what I think Vera will do um, Mark, Mark Gallagher has a piece in um, the Irish Mail on Sunday but other than that yeah I was I was kind of looking forward to it as a as a customer of uh, sports papers editors are you listening <laughs> I've been able to listen to Off the Ball and, and various other podcasts and the 42 and stuff but yeah um because it's fun. Like, it's fun to have a squad of 31 and trying to whittle it down to 23 mm. um, by Wednesday for heading out to the World Cup start of July. So, um, Fair Pow has, you know, talked about how awful it is and how terrible it is. And it is, but for sports riders, they should be relishing that stuff. Like, yeah, trying to, to whittle down 31 to 23. I tried to do it myself yesterday and found it really difficult. Um, is your big name on mission? It was actually, weirdly, uh, Kira Grant, and she is the person who's interviewed across the Sundays today. Um, uh, so, but I think if you give most people who've been watching the squad, uh, pr- I think most of us would get to 19 players fairly similarly. Yeah. And I think we'd all have a different four then going to, to the last four. I didn't uh, go to the trouble of doing my 23. And so in my squad, it, everyone can go. Uh, yeah. I did find myself watching the game uh, second half more closely on Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. and Grant really caught my eye. Yeah, and tidy on the ball, and in a team that isn't always tidy on the ball, and even her composure. And she did really well for Barrett's goal. Header, yeah, there's an intelligence about her play, and actually, um, the other goal, the first one, which went down the right hand side, it was actually Grant in midfield who calmed things down, took possession, and started it off. She didn't play the incisive ball. But she kind of got Ireland moving in a subtle enough way. And I, I did find myself thinking... See, this is why it's a fun exercise because and she was the one that I left out and was like, oh, I don't really want to leave her out. Yeah. But, and it's just trying to figure out. And then you don't know if you're doing it because you're thinking Vera Powell will do this or she won't yeah. do that. Like, you know, part of me thought that Little John might have been in trouble, but she's such a stalwart and she's seemingly a really big, important player in the in the dressing room of the squad. But she's had her injury trouble. So, you know, someone like Grant, you know, it's like my, in midfield. My logic is always... Who can Denise O'Sullivan play with? Yeah. So, like, how can we get her in the ball as much as possible? And Grant struck me as somebody that O'Sullivan can play a one-two. Well, this is why Sinead Farley is going to be so important. And, you know, there there was some, you know, uh, hand-wringing around the American players coming in um, and Aoife Mannion coming in. Aoife Mannion is a difficult one because she's not fully fit now. So I think that is a really difficult call because there's the balance of the squad plus the fact that she's injured. But for Sinead Farrelly, she's nailed on yeah. and that's the reason. Yeah. It's because, you know, they'll be able to play more football. Denise O'Sullivan will be able to play more football. Mm-hmm. And she, for me, is someone who potentially could own this entire World Cup because the Americans know her, the Americans know her story um, and we have the first game so we have the big 80,000 stadium. Sinead Farley could light it up and I am fully on board the Sinead Farley train so that's that's the one that I'm excited about and I genuinely think she, she could be the story of the World Cup yeah. um, and I think Vera Pau knows that as well. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.
On um, what does get coverage certainly is the uh, situation in Gaelic Games, which is more than brewing now. So the Business Post, for instance, I know it's elsewhere as well, but Emmett Ryan here on page 32 of the Business Post just lays out the situation. Um, so basically the short version here is uh, last week, 24 captains of inter-county camogie and ladies football teams issued a joint statement. There was a press conference in a Dublin hotel and they said, we're going to play the rest of the season under protest. Maria Kinsella, who's co-chair of the GPA, she said, everything's on the table for next year, though, including strike action. So this year it's under protest and we saw at Parnell Park, the players um, sat down after the anthem before throw-in and at other games, players the two teams stood beside each other for the national anthem in a show of solidarity. And so um, this is about basics, really. Um, the men have had a player's charter for goes to 20 years. Uh, the female players in this country can't seem to get one. And Kinsella of the GPA says these are pretty basic needs. So, for instance, 36% of female GAA intercounty players don't have full access to a physio or a strength and conditioning coach. 53% don't have full access to a gym. 71% don't have full access to pitches. 79% don't have a regular access to a doctor, etc. Male players have 100% of these issues. So they want it and they want it done now. Now, financially, this seems contingent on the GAA stepping up. So last year, last spring, the GEA, the LGFA and the Camogie Associations all voted for integration. So the three would become one. Integration has been an ongoing conversation since about the 70s, but it's finally moving now. And what they all said understandably was, well, we need some independent guidance here. So Mary McAleese is spearheading a steering group to try and navigate the choppy waters of integration. And... At the moment, Mary McAleese and that group has said, well, we're just in the listening phase and we'll be there for at least a year. And the worry for female players in this country is that um, there was a report done by Katie Liston, Connor Myler and Dr. Aoife Lane just uh, researching integration. And on the face of it, it would seem like, well, relatively straightforward. But they have said this is unbelievably complicated. There is literally no precedent for a multi-entity, multi-sport integration like this. I mean, Golf Ireland came together, but it was the one sport and it was just two organisations and it was relatively straightforward. This is really complicated. There's no precedent for this worldwide. And so they reckon this could take five years to do it properly. And (laughs) the female players of the country are not waiting around, it would seem, five years. Uh, The LGFA declined to comment. The GEA has declined to comment. And they have said, and this is the really interesting thing, they have said to Emmett Ryan, This is a matter for the Camogie Association and the LGFA players. Their players aren't happy. Our players are (laughs) male and there is a charter. We, and like, understandably, in some respects, uh, certainly at this point, they say, well, like, if they're striking, that's nothing to do with us. The argument against that is if integration is coming, then in a show of good faith, in a kind of historic move, come up with the money now and let's worry Mm -hmm. about pitches and all the other intricacies of who's on what board down the line. Um, I don't know if the GEA are going to be of a mind to foot that bill before integration is complete. Equally, I don't think female players are waiting around five years. Well, it shows that I think that five year, I think the five year plus, I think the plus is an incredibly important part of that statement. I think five years is incredibly optimistic. And when you hear that from the GEA, it proves that that's incredibly optimistic because if, if the appetite isn't yeah. there to to start doing some pre-work 
<laughs> then, you know, getting the actual work done is going to be really difficult. Um, the players are, are right in that in that framing of it then to not want to wait. Um, there's huge difficulties, I think, in this because it's two separate organisations, it's the LGFA and the Camogie Association. But there's also huge disparity between how some Camogie and football teams are treated compared to like if you just work between the counties, which is why the, the charter as a whole is really important and it's why it's needed. But within that charter, every single county would pick a different uh, priority. Like for some counties, the travel expense is really, really important because they can't get students to come and play um, and everything else is probably at a level that's fine. Yeah. Whereas for other counties, you know, the, the, the access to physio that can be as as dangerous as not having a physio at any match, you know. So if a bad injury happens, there's nobody there with any kind of knowledge, and and that does happen. So the 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 level of things that needs to be fixed is so um, different yeah. that you really need the LGFA and the Camogie Association to be working together with or without the GA. But the fact that that's not even happening yet um, to my, work on a charter, yeah. you know, it's it, so the players are right to take a stand. My sense um, of the LGFA and the Camogie Association, just by dint of doing pieces for the last decade about fixture clashes and congestion, is the communication there is appalling. Appalling. And, and if you see what happened, to, to bring it back to Kildare Hour, you know, Kildare Camogie were pulled from their championship by Kildare Camogie and they were allowed to do that by the Camogie Association and there was meetings held, the players, it was a small squad but no one questioned why it was a small squad. It was a small squad because it has become untenable for a lot of people to play Kildare Camogie because none of these things are in place. Like when I was looking at the charter, like you know, if Kildare Camogie players are answering those, they, they're definitely in the in the, the bad percentages. So, you know, uh, and Hilda Breslin, who's um, the president of the Camogie Association, you know, came up through the Kildare ranks. So she knows exactly what's going on in Kildare, has, you know, allowed the Kildare Association, the Kildare County Board to pull Kildare from, from the... And, you know, the GPA said that in the statement, we don't want to see what happened with Cavan footballers or Kildare Camogie players happen... Um, further field but it has happened already so you know we're already in dire straits um i think one thing that they could look at before integration is doing a one county model so the one club model works really well so if you have if you're a part of a one club um you join the ga you join the ga club you don't join the camogie section of it or you don't join the lgva section access to pitches access to dressing rooms all of that it's all um, all the fundraising is done together so basically you just join the club and there's no difference between whether you're a male player or a female player in one clubs that, wor- that work well that's that's a model that allows all of this to function properly if we were able to bring that into a county system I think that could work before integration so county boards get together at their own level and yeah. say okay we'll we'll decide to be a one county and we'll make sure all of this happens then you also get the benefit of the fundraising abilities of the women <laughs> of the female players of your of your county so I, I think that's an idea that could be explored as we head towards integration because that also lets the county boards do some of the work before because the complicated work is at a higher level it's about at, about like executive boards and all of that but it does let you know some some good stuff happen on the ground first um, while we wait for integration and we know the one club model works so you know doing it on a on a county level, mightn't be that difficult. And the other thing I think a lot of people will say, well, you know, the 
the pitch access thing is is probably the biggest problem. And people will say, well, they're the GA pitches. So, you know, the LGFA and the Clogie Association just have to go and work it out for themselves. I'm like, well, GA pitches and GA clubs were not built without women. They were not, they do not function without women and they have never functioned without women. Like, so the idea that the actual infrastructure and the pitches and the clubs belong to the men or belong to the GA who are, you know, the the a stand-in word for men, like, that's not the reality. Mm. So, you know, any chance I get, I tell people that like they're not men's pitches for men. They were not built like that. They they have not been maintained like that. So I think when we when we talk about it, there should be an understanding that that female players and female females have always been part of the GA, and and we should remember that when we're kind of trying to divvy out who owns what. I will guarantee get at least five tweets from somebody telling me that the women don't bring in any money, therefore tough luck, which again is this um, inane argument on so many levels. I heard Jared during the week make the point on AM. Well, by that logic, the hurlers don't bring in as much money as the footballers. So let's not give them as much as the intercounty yeah. footballers, for instance. Or you like, you know, there is kind of a, a move at the moment to just like protect Munster hurling above all else. But then, you know, Galway go and beat Tipperary yesterday. So like, yeah. should Leinster hurlers just be, be being thrown to wolf because people want to protect Munster hurling? Or, you know, should we just forget about Offaly hurling? Or should we forget about Antrim hurling? You know, so, or the idea that the money that goes to the that you know ticket sales to the men's game that's coming from men women and children as well who care about yes. all the games women who coached teams growing up who contributed massively to those teams yeah I mean, uh, and that's know, sellouts at Crow Park and that's not even to start with the inequalities we're, we're starting with so that's you know it's, like it's this inherited inequality like it's generational situation and so um, it's fairly obvious that if we all believe in Gaelic games as a whole are we satisfied on the whole with second class citizens by dint of gender? Because yeah. that's the, that's the equation we have at the moment. I'm really surprised, even if it was a cynical, I want my name to go down in history type vibe. Not that it should be, but say like if you're going for the just the, the, the kind of least faith in humanity. Uh, I'm surprised that like Larry McCarthy, um, Director General Tom Ryan aren't saying to themselves, Let's do this. Why don't we go down as the people in history who took a stand and uh, made a a push for sincere equality and and just do this ahead of integration, um, whether it takes five or ten years? Because even somebody on the... um, I don't don't betray any uh, comments. I know there is a sense, like, um, from certain people who are very okay with the situation, that Mary McAleese is, like, protection... Mm. in a sense like however long this thing drags out because she is held in such high she's esteem she's a saint such high esteem yeah. they're like you know they, they can drag this out for another however long and it's like look Mary McAleese is doing this yeah. hands off everybody the as feels. opposed to if it was somebody else there might be a degree of get on with it yeah. Yeah. Well, do yeah. this now you know? you're, you're deliberately slow balling it um, it's interesting I've, I've, I mean Sinead has far more as a player as a footballer and you know my, my one contribution to this, I remember last year I went to see, I went to the, the ladies football final because my best mate is Vicky Wall's uncle. So I was like, oh, I'll go see watch. See, I thought for a second there you'd been offered a free five star <laughs> experience, <laughs> which no, is, no, no. you know, as a travel journalist, your way of operating. The thing that struck me, I mean, you just touched on it. The thing that struck me. Uh, so my in-laws were visiting from the UK and I wanted to show them and the game, we, the game that 
was the on while they were here was yeah. the ladies football final so Meath Kerry and and we went whatever there was 40,000 people in Croke Park and the thing that struck me the most on the way into Croke Park the amount of young girls with their parents I mean I've never seen the level I, and and so ever since then it says you become aware of it so every school you, you just see them just the amount of young women playing Gaelic sports now yeah. is immeasurably more than it was when I was a kid immeasurably more and it just seems to me like addressing this fundamental inequality is exactly what you said it's just like you're on the right side of history and it's not in even allowing for the so-called complexities around this and certainly I don't know enough about them but like Emmett Ryan touches on like the percentages are really frightening of like access to doctors to physios and then there's like, maybe an ancillary point sure but all intercounty players are subject to anti-doping regulations if you don't have access to a doctor like do you know what over-the-counter medication you can cannot take etc mm. etc and like these are genuine issues to be dealt with now not in five years time or five years plus and I yeah. think I think the thing that's been proven over the last three to four years but by global women's sport is there's a business there and there is that thing that we have been saying for years like Joe I'm sure I was on here 10 years ago saying like build it and they will come and people would have been tweeting in being like no you have to make them come first and that doesn't make sense but if you see what's been happening like you know there's going to be 80,000 people at the Irish-Australia game at the World Cup there is there was packed out stadiums at the Euro 2022 last year there are sponsors lining up to give women Mm. sport women's teams money so like to still be at the the level that we're fighting over whether women deserve pitch access is silly like it's really silly stuff and Nadine Doherty in the Indo says equality isn't too much to ask for in her headline but these women are not asking for equality there. They're asking for a charter that is similar to the men's, but we know we're so far away from equality, particularly depending on which county you're in. If you're in Kilkenny, the Kilkenny Camogie players are hoping that they won't have to fundraise the next time they get to an All-Ireland. But if you're in Kildare, you're just hoping that you'd get like a touch of what the Kildare, Kilkenny Camogie players have. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's nowhere near actual equality you're asking for. You're asking for, you know, to be able to play at a standard that it feels um, worthwhile or it feels like you're not being treated um, like your hobby isn't worthwhile. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball. I thought it was even just um, a touch worrying that if integration is in the cards and it was voted in at all three congresses over a year ago that the GEA, the LGFA and the Camogie Association didn't release some kind of joint statement. We hear the female county players, we take this seriously, we'll at least discuss it. Well, again, it goes back to your thing of like the communication between the two is evidently bad. Yeah. Um, but I also... rivals. Yeah, and also both of the associations, more the LGFA than the Camogie Association, like tried to pick apart what the girls were saying rather than kind of listening to yeah. what they were saying. Yeah. They were like, well, you said this, but this. And, you know, some of it was fine to lay out the facts of like what's being spent, etc. But it's also a bit disingenuous because I think you're they were playing to an audience like the people who were going to tweet you, Joe, saying, oh, well, we actually spent 900 grand on them. You know, well, we don't know what that means. Of course, yeah. money has to be spent when there's competitions happening, but we don't know what that means. And at a county level, we don't know what that means for the various teams. And you just can't stand over 
a, almost half of the players in the country not having access to physio. No, it's a scandal, really. Um because Nadine Doherty points out as well that a female squad charter cannot be funded by one association acting independently. It can only be achieved collectively. In 2022, the GEA had a surplus of 22 million. LGFA was 890,000. Camogie Association, 290,000. So it's just evident the GEA are going to have to step up if they want to solve this. And it's up to the GEA to decide what they want to do. And they can wait for the steering group to listen for another year and then have another committee for another year and then have another consultancy yeah. period for another and, year and, and it will go. it will have to bring in everything and part of it will be are we doing the right things in the men's game as well you know like should the men only be able to play if they're students or teachers or you know yeah. not be able to you know like McCaffrey being the big example like you can't be a doctor and a football player at the same time like or you have to give up for a few years you know it should be the way it's you know, the way it's being set out, like from the outset, is that it's amateur and you should be able to do your day job and play. Mm-hmm. So are we training too much? Are we like, are we expecting professionalism? Is there too much onus on what one person can do outside of um, yeah. their job? So, it, you know, it might be a whole root and branch thing that needs that's needed. Jesse, it is. Fionn, you liked Derm Calise. Yeah, board, well, it was interesting. Uh, I was just, it's a big piece about, I mean, the headline, immense talent is no longer enough for McElroy on major stage, which, you know, it's, like, we've known it for a considerable amount of time, but it's interesting because, you know, Galice is the kind of the, the, the most esteemed writer on Irish golf. Been, you know, he's been, the thing that jumped out, you know, he restates the issues, uh, over several years of major failure, we looked at various weaknesses in McElroy's golfing technique. It's if only his putting would improve. He really needs to sharpen his wedge play. His much vaunted driving is no longer reliable. And then, and I don't know why, it's not anything we don't know, but it's to hear it out of Dermot Elise to say, now we have clear, unequivocal evidence that the problem lies elsewhere between his ears. And that just feels very, <gasps> I know. Did you not have that same? Yeah, I did. Because uh, people would say this all the time to you. Yeah. Mm. And you'd sort of say, ah, I don't know. When Derm Kelly said it, I thought, yeah. oh, jeez. There's a part of you that's like, oh, God. That's a tough line. He, to, you know, the, the he, sage he would, has spoken. Yeah. And so, and look, it, look, I don't think it's restating anything that, as you said, hasn't been discussed ad nauseum. But yeah. um, it was just, look, and, and as much as his failure last week, was last week? Yeah. His failure is really to just kick on and, and kind of be the preternaturally talented genius that he is and, and, and take Wyndham Clark. That didn't happen. But the, like judging from all the evidence and, and Rory's, you know, he's had a kind of an odd time. At, like even though he was four under yesterday, it was disappointing as everyone else was shooting the lights out. But um, he, uh, it didn't seem to impact him quite to the same in quite the same way as as the master's failure did. So yeah. he he's obviously not, he's not, he doesn't seem that jarred or he doesn't seem that hit by it. Like, you know, he did his best. It didn't happen. Move on, you know. Go that to. is kind of Galicia's point as well. He's not sure where McElroy is getting his motivation or where he can get his motivation from. Yeah, he's true. saying, you know, Nicholas wanted to be the best player in the world. Faldo wanted personal <laughs> wealth. <money>. Like, <laughs> Ballesteros wanted to beat the Americans. And he said he's not sure if McElroy just has that simple thing in his head of like, why I want to go do this. Um and maybe yeah. that's why you go around, you know, a back nine, not really figuring out where you can attack, that you just yeah. play and nothing really happens, you know. I mean, 
and and so much it, it, absolutely true I mean he won in 2011 at congressional he won by eight but he he's like and then it leads to thoughts is he a flat track bully you know does he does he just stretch ahead and then just kind of courses on home you know that like when it comes to a dog fight he beat Kepka in the I can't God, so many when he beat Kepka going down the stretch on the Sunday in one of the FedEx Cup events a few years ago was the WGC that was terrific and it was just but it was so strange to see it was just like here you have the two alpha dogs going at it and Rory coming out top in a straight fight and he really just beat him he hasn't done he hasn't done that at all in, in May he didn't do it at the Open Championship last year um, he didn't do it at the Masters he didn't do it on Sunday last week look uh, I just thought it was, it was an interesting piece and, and, and for Gillies to say that like look ultimately it comes down to is it motivational is it just is the issue is not the issue is how do you get yourself up to do this and, and what is he now 34 yeah. been around a long time he is you know wealthier than any of us could ever imagine like I just I, I, I'm, I'm of that mind where I, I I don't see him winning a bunch of more majors at all. Like, he, I think he might have one in him. But beyond that, I, I don't. I know that others disagree and that's, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Mm. As long as he gets the moment, we all want at least one more moment. Yeah, and, and do you know that moment could come at Hoylake in July, you know? I mean, he won last time I was there and, like, he's in good touch, you know? He's, he's playing well. Like, he didn't win... Last year at the Open, he didn't win at the Masters, but he played well. Like, it's not as if, like, he had a horror show that kind of, and he didn't back himself in, sorry, he didn't backdoor into a top five. Like, he, he's there, thereabouts. So, is that the motivation? Is that the sense of, like, my game isn't a million miles away from, it's his putter, obviously. Like, he, he struggles. Like, he was. Yeah, it was his putter. If he had put it as well as Wyndham Clark, he would have won by nine shots. <laughs> Isn't that really something? It's a painful thought. I'm not. You just put it that one on the eighth, he would have won. <laughs> yeah, no. oh, I know. I know. In a playoff for sure. Yeah. yeah. Or if he'd if he'd gotten up and down on fourteen from like fourteen and a eight. A great lie on the yeah. drop. He got lucky with the f- drop. Maybe he needs to talk to Harrington like uh, <laughs> Leona has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Leona, who and it was funny watching Leona yesterday, and look, she's leading. It's an exciting time for her. She's leading for the first time going into a Sunday in, in a major. Um, and in commentary, they were saying that like they'd never seen, they spoke to her coach at Duke who said, I've never seen anybody work as hard, which always you, you, you kind of take with an asterisk. Really? It's like, it's a bit like the footballer goes, just always stay back, just practicing free kicks and training. <laughs> it's like, but the idea that like she had a short, she had a weakness in her short game and just dedicated herself to the boredom of improving her short game. And yeah, I'd be still very optimistic on Rory in many Would ways. You? Yeah, that's good to hear. He's um, he's doing what we asked of him about yeah. two years ago when things weren't good. He's just putting himself there and he's giving himself chances. So last year he was 29 under in the majors by a distance better than everybody else combined. St. Andrews was heartbreaking. He messed up in St. Andrews. I think that kills him because he just wasn't aggressive enough at times. But again, just puts one drop. Again, Masters aside, this year it's been very good. Gave himself a great chance. The thing with McElroy you have to applaud is he keeps coming back. He's putting himself in a position whereby he might feel a touch embarrassed. He'll be ridiculed. He's brave as hell in that respect. Like Harrington famously said, some players get close to winning a major. doesn't work out. They're so 
hurt by the whole experience. They self-sabotage before they get into that situation again. This guy keeps coming. Yeah. Keeps on coming. We're down on him far too much. I think there are but just weaknesses I, to his game. I don't it, think we're down on him. I think we all love him <laughs> like okay. in a way like Dermot Gleese makes that point he never wants to be a fan with a laptop oh, that's and, true. and I think we're all fans with laptops and you have to be critical of him then because it's your job mm-hmm. but you're critical out of this deep wish to want to him. do it yeah yeah no, I and, and you can well. hear all the commenters are the same. Like, you, you know, if you're watching golf and you're kind of watching fans of other people tweet about it, they're like, oh, the commentary is so biased towards McAvoy. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, because really yeah, everyone wants him to win. Like he's the. It he's is. It is annoyingly biased towards McAvoy. I mean, Nick Doherty. It, 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 al- it almost puts me off. <laughs> he's the president of the Rory McIlroy fan club <laughs> yeah. that he created himself. Yeah, no, I mean, there I, is. I find actually the sycophancy around McIlroy puts me off him a touch of times yeah. like Kyle Porter and all these guys online are just the worst they're supposed mm. to be journalists and they are just part of the fan club I mean he he is he is he's um, he's a more interesting he speaks very very well but it's a really low bar in professional golf like so they really are just appalling <laughs> I, I, I come back to this we, theme we do a golf bag, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I come back to this theme all the time though like sport like it's obviously it's serious business and all that but it's meant to be fun for all of us who want to watch it it's meant to be fun and McElroy even when he's losing or not losing when he's coming second or third or fourth or yeah. fifth you know it's still fun I like there's a Mayo quality to McElroy so it's more Mayo. Well, like, like that's Mayo and Rory want to be careful when they win a major because then suddenly a lot of like the fun and the longing and the journey is gone. Like, I don't know if Mayo are worried about that. Now. <laughs> yeah. But Joe Brawley has a piece on Mayo and there's another piece on Shane Walsh in, in the Cinder as well about like, who can you trust? When does the brain work? And the McElroy piece comes into that as well. Ah, look, like, there's a problem. There is a problem on Sundays. There's no doubt. And when the majors are there, there is a problem. Hmm. Um, just to mention, by the way, we don't have too much time to get into it, but um, Joanne Cantwell does a rare interview. Yeah. It's in the Sunday Times. It's with Michael Foley. Uh, what jumped out to me is she absolutely did tell Don Hughes she'd be asking him about but the Talchin Cup comments. They say, uh, get on very well, yeah. yeah. So she was um, bemused by all the reading into the body language in studio. But uh, yeah, she had tipped him off that she was going to ask him that question before going on air because a couple of weeks ago there was widespread speculation. Well, based on his... Interesting reaction that she must have just ambushed him with the question. So she hadn't. So as a experienced presenter in all your years, when you've had like a regular guest in, like someone who's a regular on the program, would you ever ambush them with a potentially you wouldn't. You'd always give them fair warning ahead. I think so. Yeah. So in fairness, like it absolutely doesn't surprise me at all. What is interesting his is, reaction is that his so reaction, yeah. his reaction, she didn't expect his reaction, mm. that he went in a way that she hadn't anticipated. She thought he might just kind of go with it a little bit, but he didn't. But by all accounts, it was all, it was all part of the, the fun of, look, a little bit of heat in the, a little bit of heat in the studio. We'll get it going. We'll have a row. Um, you know, and all with a tip of the cap to the uh, spirit of Joe Brawley. She uh, <laughs> defends the show. So I suppose the second half of the piece, she talks about her own rise and the importance of a female in the role she's in. And she reflects on her 20 years since she started out with TV3 and FM 104. But she does, um, before that, say, in defense of the Sunday game, world's most hated program, uh, Michael Foley says, at one time the show was hammered for neglecting analytical rigor while pandering to light entertainment. Now, though, too bland, apparently. So what Joanne says is, it makes me laugh. Um, 
She says, some analysis from people writing in papers can be so lazy. It's just so easy to say there are no personalities. Are you telling me Lee Keegan doesn't have personality? Are you telling me Joe Canning doesn't have personality? Jackie Tyrrell? No. When you get these uh, ridiculous, lazy articles that they're taking all the personality out of the programme, uh, what would be the benefit of us doing that? To what end? You wouldn't intentionally try to take that away. That's exactly what you want. You want it to be real. So she defends it. I, I think, in fairness, the average person in the street does think that it has become too bland. If you talk to people anecdotally, that's my sense from people, fairly or otherwise. Yeah, and I think probably the 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 cause of that is probably what needs to be drilled down into. Like, you know, she talks about the various people. There's probably the chemistry is hard. So I think there is personality, but I think it's the chemistry that people want. And I think that's what people remember about, you know, the, the previous panels. Like, I think people definitely have rose tinted glasses when they look back at the previous panels sure. like and yeah. think, oh, that was all great. Um, what's happened is Joanne Cantwell is excellent. I love watching her and she makes her panels work harder. They have to come in a lot more prepared than they did 20 years ago or 10 years ago even. Um, but I think maybe what's what people are saying personalities is chemistry because there's such a rotating number of pundits now. Yeah. It's much harder to get that chemistry. Big time. Um, like myself and Fionn know each other from doing Vincent Brown back in the day and Vincent liked myself and Fionn being together because we he thought we had great chemistry. We were paired together <laughs> we were every paired Tuesday. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was the Kildare thing. He knew you were going to end up with Salvage. But, you know, Vincent was very aware of putting panels together and right. getting chemistry together, exactly. not letting people talk beforehand and getting the good, like, mm. contentious stuff out of the way. He used to get really cross if people sp- spoke in the green room beforehand because he'd be like, you're robbing the viewer of the good stuff. Like, yes, you're the organic conversation. The organic conversation, yeah. the stuff that you actually are, are, you know, going to be passionate about. Don't say that stuff of like, oh, I was saying before we got on air. So, you know, it's the chemistry between guests that I think is really important. And I think that's probably where the Sunday game could, I don't know what they're doing. They, they might be doing lots of screen tests behind the scenes or, or you know, putting people together and f- seeing what works and also obviously it's it's a much busier time so yeah. it's probably hard to get the same people back yeah, every single week but I, I guarantee but you as well you and Fionn with uh, Vincent weren't as good your first time doing it together as when you had 20 goes together no it's absolutely obviously true not. that rotating panel doesn't afford the same people to the same bed time in. together it's yeah. to bed in. because you, you guys can now slag each other have a bit of crack whereas if you just met each other for the first time it's going to be a bit yeah. more straightened or Joe like I, we're both very experienced of this we've been doing it for years and years but if there's a new presenter in the chair I'm not going to be as comfortable you know you know, when the guys text and say can you come on and they'll always say it's Joe presenting or it's someone else but if it's someone else I've never been on with you're not quite as comfortable you know th- there's not as much knowledge of what you know yeah. as to yeah. what I know like if you know I have no clue about horse racing and there's some pages about an uh, ascot here you know not to ask me about Royal Ascot today um, and we know not to ask you about <laughs> horse racing um, can I just there was one thing that she does put to bed you know the whole the route that, that it was her that exited Brawley out the building oh yeah interesting I mean she's like she laughs at this she goes if people think I've that sort of weight after toiling for all these years and finally landing the dream job that a year in I have the clout to get rid of one of our most experienced pundits, then I could see the funny side of it. And and she goes, she's at pains to compliment Joe Brawley and all the old panellists and said, like, these were great. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. As if I yeah. marched in and said, gone, yeah. gone. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is that like in my limited experience of, you know, doing a bit of present, it just feels a bit kind of like, nah, that... So again, like that seems to confirm that sense. It's like there's no way she could have that kind of clout. 
We are out of time. Do you know Joanne Cantwell played football with Selbridge? <laughs> Did no. She? Did she See, really? it's all part of that. The Selbridge map. The Selbridge massive. Just to, just to circle back to the start of our. Mm. My goodness. Yeah. Damien Rice from Selbridge, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you just oh. named Selbridge people. <laughs> Selbridge people. Arthur yeah. Guinness. Indeed. Uh, if you stay for another five years, we'll make you an official citizen of Selbridge. How about that? We'll do a ceremony just and everything. We'll join Selbridge GA Club. Yeah. I'll, I'll hit you I'm up with our, uh, with our latest no. draw. Yes, I did. But I, and, and it's funny because I've driven. I we got to go. Arthur, I drive by your <laughs> home, your there. old home, and I've been to your old home. It's yeah. funny. And I'm always. Our parents like, used well. to live next door to each other. <laughs> wild, isn't it? Yeah. Just that before is we were born. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Arthur. <laughs> uh, yes, we'll go. Sinead O'Carroll is editor at the Journal. Fionn Davenport is travel journalist, uh, part of Golf Weekly and Pred Selbridge Man. That is the paper. <laughs> Indeed, I am. I am. OK, we're done. <laughs> Thank you. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.